0: I have resolved in my life to continue to read Holy Scripture this year, right? And as a church, we're endeavoring to read the New Testament together this year. We've been talking about this for several weeks. If you haven't seen that yet, there should be the Bible reading plan in the back of the seat in front of you. And the way that that works is you read a chapter a day, Monday through Friday. You have the weekends to reflect or just take it off, whatever. But we're going to uh, work through the New Testament together this year. Some of you need much more than that. You're reading the whole Bible. No problem. Get on it. Good for you. That's awesome. Uh, many of us will be reading the New Testament together this year. I'll be doing that. I hope you could join us with that. Join us in that. And that is what I want to speak about this morning. I want to talk about reading the Bible I think it's a good way to start the year. One of my life goals is to get more people in our world to read the Bible. And I want to lend to that this morning. I'm going to do it in a different way. It's not necessarily a sermon per se, though I'm sure it'll feel rather preachy to you. But it's a personal testimony. I'm going to tell you why I read the Bible. That's the title of this, why I read the Bible. And a little bit of how I read the Bible as well. But it'll just be a personal testimony as I've reflected on my life with Scripture. And then it will also be the Scripture testifying of itself, the Bible testifying for itself, the value of Scripture and why we ought to read it. So that's what we're going to do this morning. As a backdrop to it, I want to read Deuteronomy chapter 6, a few verses. So if you have a Bible, open up there. Deuteronomy chapter 6. All the verses I read this morning will be on the screen except for this passage. So, uh, if you see someone around you who doesn't have a Bible, let him look on with you. Deuteronomy chapter 6 will just sort of say as a backdrop. This passage is Moses talking to the children of Israel at the end of his ministry, the end of his time with him before they will enter the promised land. It's kind of his final words to him, his final charge to them. And as a community of faith as followers of Jesus as Readers and believers and obeyers in the Bible, this passage is largely formed how we are to think and feel and act according to scripture, in light of scripture. So we'll actually start in the last verse of Deuteronomy chapter five. So Deuteronomy chapter five, verse 32, and we'll read on into chapter six. Moses speaking to Israel says in verse 32 of Deuteronomy five, so be careful "...to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess." Chapter 6, verse 1. "...these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess." So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God, the God of your ancestors promised you. write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I would ask that this morning you would draw us into Holy Scripture as a lifestyle, as a response to who you are and what you've done for us as Jesus followers. Lord, with all of the distractions in our lives, all the things that compete for attention, all our all our stuff, that you would draw us into the wonder, the beauty, the joy, the person of Jesus as revealed in the Bible. So help me, Lord, as I just share my testimony and as Scripture testifies for itself. Help me to communicate in a way that's faithful and lends itself to your purposes and help us to hear and obey. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts for our good and for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's been the general habit of my life for over 20 years now to read the Bible most days. Not every day, but most days it's been the general habit of my life for over 20 years, almost 25 years. The New American Standard Bible that you always see up here on the pulpit that I normally read and preach from was given to me by my wife on my birthday in 1995, March 1st, 1995, 20 years ago. She gave me that Bible. I've been reading it almost every day since. And before that, she and I both had NIV life application Bibles that we had been reading from for a few years. So the better part of a quarter of a century, it has been my habit to read the Bible most days. And I would say that that has been for me a good habit. And one of the very few good habits that has stuck for a quarter of a century you know you know what I'm saying? The bad habits, they have a way of sticking around. They cling. They hold on. We hold on. But this is one of the very few good habits that I've been able to maintain for the better part of 25 years. It's a long time. So I've been thinking, what, why is it? Why is there this thing about the Bible that's kept me coming back to it day after day? Year after year, and how did it all get started? I started to try to think back that long ago. It was a long time ago, but I, I can remember the sense when I first started reading scripture, and the sense was very simply that I wanted more of Jesus. I had had some experiences with Jesus, some real profound ones. I had grown up in a Christian home, but walked away way away from the Lord through my high school years and and uh, the years after high school, came back to the Lord, had some real experiences with him. But I was kind of flirting. I was kind of in. I was kind of out. And, but I, I had this sense at the time that I was being wooed by God, by Jesus, if I could use that language. He was just pursuing me and, and, and drawing me. And I was kind of in, but I was kind of out. And I wanted more of Jesus, but I wanted some other things too. And But I I just remember at this time in my life, it felt like Jesus was tangibly pursuing and wooing me. I later on in my life found a scripture about God's dealings with the nation of Israel in the book of Hosea that very much feels like how my experience in that time felt in my early 20s. Hosea chapter 11. God speaking says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. All right, this is like father-kid love language. When Israel was a child, I loved him. I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called to him, the further he moved from me, offering sacrifices to the images of Baal and burning incense to idols. I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by his hand. You you see this language? This is like real love, intimate, nurturing, caring for a child language. But he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck, and I myself stooped to feed him. Wooing, love sort of language. That's how I felt. In my early 20s, I felt like there was this wooing and I was, I was, I was kind of in, but I was kind of out like Israel and, and kind of pursuing and kind of rebelling. But there was this overarching sense that this Jesus, whom I, I'm sensing his love and his grace and his forgiveness and his presence in my life, I want to know more about him. And someone at that time in my life, I, I can't remember exactly who it was. I, I've tried to think, but someone told me very clearly, listen, you want more Jesus? You need to read your Bible. You need to read your Bible every day. And I would say in looking back over the last 25 years or so that that bit of advice has changed my life more than anything I've ever heard. You want more of Jesus? You need to read the Bible. That's what I wanted. There was this, I just wanted more. And I found that when I opened up the scriptures, Christ met me there. And this longing was immediately answered. I begin to grow in the Lord. And that's my first point about why I read the Bible. Reading the Bible keeps me growing in Jesus. Notice the phraseology, keeps me growing in Jesus. Because it's possible to be a Christian, have a relationship with the Lord, and not grow in it, right? I've been there to just kind of go stagnant, to kind of get stuck, to kind of plateau. In fact, it's not only possible to not grow at times, but at other times we find ourselves backsliding. Can I get a witness? Anybody honest here? But I have found that it's much harder to backslide when I have a regular disciplined life in the Scriptures I have found that when I give myself to reading the Bible most days, it keeps me growing in Jesus. It might be two steps forward and one step back. There's still great failures. There's areas where I haven't grown in a long time that I need to grow. There's all sorts of stuff. But I have found now, over these last couple decades of wanting more of Jesus, that being in the Bible keeps me growing in Him. Because that is how Christians grow. We grow by the word. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. That's exactly where I was. I had tasted the kindness of the Lord. I wanted more. I wanted to grow. And I found that this growth happened in the word. The analogy there is like newborn babies. There's a lot of babies in our church right now. It's so fun. There's all these new little babies. And you know, when you have a baby, baby needs milk. Baby gets milk, baby generally grows. No milk, no growth. Christians are like babies. We need the milk of God's word. We get God's word, we will generally grow. No word. No. No growth. And we are meant always as followers of Jesus Christ to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. There is no ultimate plateau, right? There's no end game. There's no like, well, I got there. I don't need to do it anymore. I've arrived. That doesn't happen. We can always grow in the wonder and the glory of who Christ is for Christ is inexhaustible. And this growth happens in the word. And as we stay in the word, it keeps us growing in the right way because God's word does something in us. Book of Hebrews chapter four, for the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. You see that? There's this growth that happens on the inside. And it's not merely about externals. It's not that we look a certain way or we necessarily stop doing a certain thing or we're nicer to that person. There's some deep, hidden, even indiscernible to us thing that happens through the work of the Spirit because of the Word of God in us. It's able to go to those places that we're unaware of. I don't even know what that means. Between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. See, the word of God is not merely information. The word of God is God's agent for transformation in the life of the believer. So I read the Bible because it keeps me growing in Jesus. And apart from it, I backslide. Apart from disciplined times in the word of God, I just, I do. I'm that sinful. I'm that distracted. I just backslide. So I keep myself in the Bible. My second point is this. Reading the Bible nourishes my soul on Jesus. Nourishes my soul on Jesus. Look at Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. You know, there are times in life that are just kind of soul-draining, There are things and influences and instances in this world that cause us to feel dry and parched in our spirit. Maybe things that we do or just things that we've exposed ourselves to. There are things that steal the joy right out of our hearts. But I have found that the word of God is nourishment to my soul. That when I come to the word, I'm nourished on the person of Christ himself. And that my soul needs that. It needs nourishment. You know, we're very attentive to our physical bodies, right? We we understand when our physical bodies need some upkeep, and it usually has to do most immediately with food. Like, I got to nourish my body. Oh my gosh, I feel all of whatever. And we we do it, right? and, And if we don't do it, we suffer the effects of it. We feel weak, or we get unhealthy, or we get Whatever it is. And so we're sure to nourish our physical bodies. Our souls are the same. Our souls need nourishment. Part of the Christian life is that we've identified that. And one of the tragedies of Christianity is is the emaciated soul. When we don't give attention to the hunger in our soul and nourish ourselves on the person of Christ and the word of God. Just like you ignore giving vitamins and food to your body, it'll be bad if you ignore the word of God and nourishing your soul on it, it'll be bad. Our souls begin to wither. Overcome by the stuff of this world. We desperately need soul food. Jeremiah chapter 15 puts it in just that sort of phraseology. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I've been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Isn't that beautiful? I found your words and I ate them. There's the language. Nourishing ourselves on God's word. Now, reading God's word is like many other things in life, good things. The, the more we do it, the more we see the benefits of it and it's, it's positively habit forming. You know how those seasons in life where you get in the habit of exercise, you know, those short little spurts, usually at the beginning of the year for like a week or two, but there's something to it, Ray. You did this for a long time. When you're just like into something like running, remember you used to run like a madman. You let that go, didn't you? But remember when it was a habit? I've been there too. When you just, you get in the flow of something and it's, it's hard, it's, it's a discipline, it's work, but you, you're like, yeah, this is good. And you want it, you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, I gotta go for a run. You wake up and you get that thing. Reading the Bible's like that. The more you do it, the more you wanna do it. But it's also like exercising that if you don't do it, you're like, nah, I don't wanna do it. It's just this weird thing. It's positively habit for me. Give yourselves to it and you start to feel nourished by it and you, you start to long for it. I wake up in the morning longing for the word of God. And it, it's like a habit, like any other habit. If you don't, you know, kind of address that habit and feed it, you feel sort of disjointed and out of whack all day if you don't do it, right? That can be positive or negative. But man, if I don't get in the word during the day and there are days that I don't, I just feel a little off all day long, unless I go surfing. I just feel (laughs) off. We need these things. But ignoring the word of God is like ignoring healthy food. You know when you have just like a steady diet of junk food and you don't even crave vegetables at all? You don't even care. You're like, I'm fine. I do so good on Tootsie Rolls and (laughs) Twinkies. I feel great. And so you're not at all craving, craving kale or broccoli or any of those things. But if by some work of God you get some of that nourishment, you notice this difference, you're like, well, I didn't even know. I didn't even know what I was doing to myself with this junk until I had this nourishment. Some of you are in that place. You're like, what are you talking about? Read your Bible. I'm fine. You're not fine. We're not. I'm not fine. Apart from a steady diet of God's word. Part of the reason is, and my third reason is that reading the Bible forms my heart and my mind to be more like Jesus. Now, let me say this. I need to be more like Jesus. I'm a work in progress, as are you. And I wish, quite frankly, looking at my life, I wish I was further along. I wish I was more like Christ, but I am so thankful for the habit of reading the Bible and can imagine where I would be if I hadn't. Because reading the Bible forms my heart and mind to be more like Jesus. Remember Paul's words in Romans chapter 12? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Another translation is don't be conformed to the image of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, the renewing of your mind then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know, there's a way of this world and there's a way in which this world is wanting to squeeze you into its mold. And we, to a large degree, as followers of Jesus, still consume a lot of the same messaging and media and input and entertainment that the world does. And if that's the primary thing that's forming our hearts and our minds and the way that we think and feel, then we end up conformed to the image of this world. This is why so much of the church in America is impotent because it looks just like the world around it. We're to be salt and light and look a little bit different. People are supposed to look at us and see something different that is Jesus, but we're such consumers of the things of the world apart from the word of God. We end up looking just like the world around us. We can conform to the image of this world. The Bible offers a more wonderful hope. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that happens through the word of God. In the scriptures, we get God thoughts. We get God grammar. We get God insight, God truth. And I get enough world ideas that I need to counterbalance it with God's truth and God's ideas. If I don't, me, just me, if I don't, I get off kilter very quickly. I start to think worldly thoughts. Psalm 19 says, The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. And in these dark days, we need light. We need the illumination, the truth, the clarity of Scripture. And I said before, Scripture acts on us. It's not as though we're just externally reading information. By the Holy Spirit, Scripture accomplishes in us transformation. We are acted upon. That's why it said in Hebrews chapter 4, the Word of God is living and active. It does something in us. Look at Psalm 119. Because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold. And because I consider all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. That's that's transformation. That's a testimony of transformation. Because we generally secretly like every wrong path. And I find myself f- myself flirting with wrong paths. And going down wrong paths just long enough that nobody else will find out. And how can I find a path that's wrong but it's secret? because I need to be transformed by the Word of God. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I need to be changed on the inside by the power of God, working through the Word of God, so that I can say, because I love your Word, I actually find myself hating the wrong path. It's not such a battling where I don't want to go down. I, I want to do the right thing and go the right way. Man, that is not me. I need more of that. And I find that this habit of Bible reading transforms my heart and mind to think and be more like Jesus. Point number four, reading the Bible, a related point, helps me to more faithfully follow Jesus. You see, that's what we're meant to be as Christians, as Jesus followers. And so as Jesus followers, we need to learn what it's like to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, how Jesus did things and thought and acted. That's, that's part of what it means to be a disciple. Right To be a disciple, the original word, is a learner. We're always learning of and from and about the life of Jesus and trying to pattern our lives after his life. That only happens when we follow him. That's why we call ourselves Jesus followers. That's why Jesus used this phrase when he called Matthew and others, come and follow me. I don't see how you can follow Jesus without a regular diet of God's word. Because it is in God's word where Christ and who he is and what he's done and his truth and his will is revealed to us. So it'd be really hard to say I'm a Jesus follower without carefully consuming and trying to assimilate and act upon God's word. Maybe if you were saved in the jungle somewhere, and there was no Bible translated into your language, but someone came and they told you the gospel and you, were and you understood and you were saved, maybe then the grace of God is sufficient for you, but you're not in the jungles. You're in America. You have many Bibles. God has revealed himself sufficiently to us in Scripture so that we can know what it means to follow Jesus. Psalm 119 lays it out nicely. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You've laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. I love his honest prayer here, it's mine. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. He knows the standard, he says, but gosh, Lord, I need help. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? There's a pertinent question in today's world. By living according to your word. Paraphrase How can we faithfully follow Jesus? By living according to his word. So the psalmist says, I seek you with all my heart. Don't let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Isn't that good? The word of God helps us to follow Jesus. I like the way 2 Timothy puts it, chapter three, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God, God breathed, and is useful to teach us what is true, make us realize what is wrong in our lives. We need help with that, right? Hello? Hello? We need help with that in today's world to help us know what is true, what is absolute truth, and what is wrong in our lives. Thank you, God. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And again, Psalm 119, a smattering of verses. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. You know, so as Christians, if we're serious about following Jesus, this was the amazing discovery I had almost 25 years ago. We have to read the Bible. It's in the Bible where Christ is fully revealed to us and his ways and his truth and the way that we ought to go. And I find that I'm so distracted distracted from that way. I'm so tempted from that way. Such a battle with the flesh. I so easily fall prey to the enemy. I, I need the word of God to steady me and say this is the way to walk, go this way. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do it because we've been given new natures. We are new creations. We can walk in obedience to God's word by the power of the Holy Spirit as Jesus followers. Reading the Bible helps us to do this. Point number five, reading the Bible has saved my life. That's my personal testimony. Of course, I have been saved from hell and sin and the power of sin and the debt of sin by Jesus and what he's done on the cross. Reading the Bible doesn't save us. But in so many ways, I have been saved by reading the Bible. Quite frankly, there are times, there have been times in my life where I don't think I would have made it apart from the truth of Scripture, apart from a life in the Scripture, apart from daily opening the Bible. There's just been days that were hard enough, scary enough, and dark enough that I... I certainly want to be here with you today. In so many ways the Bible has saved me. It's also the testimony of the psalmist in Psalm 119. My soul cleaves to the dust. That's pain language. Revive me. It's life language. Revive me according to your word. I'm exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. When my daughter was diagnosed with cancer, I was in a good place of just regular Bible reading. And I'm really, really thankful. I'm really, really thankful that the truth of God's word to steady me and my family in those days when she was re-diagnosed with cancer and then re-diagnosed and then re-diagnosed. And then when my baby girl went to be with Jesus, I was so thankful for God's word. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Toward the end, there there were times when I was incredibly mad with God. In the middle of the night, I said some horrible things to God. There were times where the pain was so real and it was so scary I didn't want God to be real. I had a hard time reconciling that sort of pain with a God of love. But we as a church were reading the one year Bible together that year. And I made a commitment and I had a habit. So I woke up every morning during those dark days and I read the Bible. And most of the time during those days, I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it to be good, and I didn't believe God to be good. This is where I was. But I had this habit. And so every day, while she suffered, I went to the scriptures, and they saved me. They saved me through the darkest time of my life, nobody could help me. No doctor could fix her. No money could purchase me out of it. No word of comfort meant a thing. But Christ met me in his word, and it saved me. I think I would have perished in my affliction, if it hadn't been for God's word. Now, I'm thankful that before that happened, I had formed the habit. And by God's grace, not because I'm holy, but because I am desperate, I stuck with it. I'm thankful that that was in my life already at that time. Psalm 119, again. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. That's my testimony. I will... Oh, please, God. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. Jesus told us that standing or falling in life sometimes would kind of depend on our relationship with the word. Matthew chapter 7. and great was its fall. Some of Jesus' disciples, when they were struggling with what it meant to follow Jesus, and was it all worth it? He said this to them in John chapter six. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. And again, Psalm 119. Your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves them. I love the word of God because it has saved my life. And the reason for that is not because of words on a page, but because in the Bible, we find Christ. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in some real, mysterious, God-ordained, powerful way, when we come into the pages of Scripture, we come into the presence of Christ. That's why it's called the Holy Bible. I read the Bible because it brings me to Jesus. I read the Bible because it brings me to Jesus, and I desperately need a big dose of Jesus every day of my life. Colossians 3.16, one of my favorite verses says, let the word of Christ, excuse me, dwell richly in you. Jesus is the goal of it. The goal is not to know the word per se. The goal is to know Jesus. The word is the means by which we do that. Jesus said, the whole book is about me. Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so, when I was that young man being wooed by the love of Christ, now I'm that older man still being wooed by that love of Christ. I still feel it. I still sense it. And I wander from it, but I want it. And I find that when I come to the pages of Scripture, I am coming to Jesus. And that's where I want to be. I want to be with Jesus, where I learn of His gospel by which we've been saved and His glorious love. So, that's a few points of why I read the Bible. Now, a few points as to how I read the Bible. Very simply, people sometimes think, gosh, you teach the Bible, you must read it in some complicated, very sophisticated, studious way. Not so. I read the Bible very simply. I want to share a few points. Now, for your own emotional well-being, I'm starting again with the number one. (laughs) Because we just went through six points. And that's just part A of the sermon. This is part B. So I'm going to start at number one so you feel like, oh, this is easy. Time is flying by. How I read the Bible, point number one. I read the point number one. I read the Bible regularly. This is the way to do it. To regularly read scripture. Here's what that means with a busy life in a busy world. It means we schedule it, right? Right? Anything you don't schedule is not going to happen. It's not going to happen because it's not a priority. What I have found is that reading the Bible has to be a priority in my life because I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. So I make it a priority in my life. So I schedule it. Like every other important thing in my life, it's scheduled into my life. And I prepare for it. Like every other important thing in my life, I prepare for it. I do it on a regular basis. I read the Bible most days. Not every day, but most days. Now, in scheduling as it pertains to Jesus, what I think we want to do is give our best time to him. I don't think it should be a peripheral issue. I don't think it should be leftover time. I don't think it should be merely on the run. Sometimes life is like that, and that's all you got to do, right? We have a toddler at home, like my wife, barely surviving. Whenever she gets a little bit. But when life is normal and you're able to schedule it, that's what should be done. And you should schedule your best times for Jesus. Someone tell me that's wrong. Nobody? Your best times for Jesus. So when is your best time? Think about that and try to give it to Jesus. Try to schedule it. And for me, my best time is early in the morning. I'm just a morning person. I am no good after 8 p.m. I should never be out after 8 p.m. anywhere. I should be in bed after 8 p.m. I'm good for nothing. It is not my best time. It's my worst time. My best time is early in the morning. So I get up early in the morning, scheduled, rhythmic, expected. It's a habit. I wake up, it's the first thing I think about. And then I do. And like anything else that is important, I prepare for it. So I prepare a place. I like to call it a sacred place where I go and I meet with Jesus in the morning. I prepare. So the evening before, I make sure that I'm free of clutter there. I have a little study at my house and a little desk there. And I have my Bible out and I have my journal out. We'll talk about that in a moment. and Whatever other accoutrements I need. And I set my coffee stuff out the night before so I could prepare it and get the heater on at a certain time and do all this stuff and get prepared because I have some time scheduled with Jesus. It's really, really important to me and my well-being. And so I set that time up and I schedule it. And I make it free from distractions. For a long time in my office, I was just distracted by the internet. I'm in there to spend time with Jesus. I'm in there to study, but I'm looking at surf videos or whatever other stupid videos. And I was just distracted by the internet. So my wife and my son and I talked and we got rid of the internet at our house. We should have ways that we can access stuff and we could still live, but not in my sacred space. I don't want any distractions. You ever been with someone and they're looking at a screen the whole time and they're not looking at you? I want to kill them. <laughs> so I don't want to do that to the Lord. So we schedule it. We make it sacred. We set up the space. I haven't always had a study at my house. It used to just be this chair when we lived over on 3rd uh, Street. I just had this certain chair and it had a lamp and I would meet in that chair and when I snuggled up in that chair, Jesus was there. Create a space. Read the Bible regularly. Read the Bible systematically. What I mean by that is it's not like, a, well, what should I read? Okay, there's a very, Okay, well, maybe over here. I just mean, you know, it doesn't have to be cover to cover, but you pick a portion of Scripture and you read through it. I've just found that God really works that way. He set up the Bible that way for a reason. So read the Bible systematically. What that does is it forms a habit and it forms expectation and you know where you're going and you're getting the big picture that the Holy Spirit has put there and he wants you to get. If it gets stale or it gets hard, go ahead and mix it up. If you're like stuck in Leviticus and you're never going to make it, go somewhere fun. Go read Ephesians or Mark or somewhere else. That's okay. God loves you. But just systematically start to work through a portion of Scripture. My go-to, if I don't have anything else to go to, my go-to is the Psalms. That's, that's my go-to. My go-to is the Psalms. Our Bible reading plan right now is you read a chapter from the New Testament Monday through Friday, and you have the weekends off. I have a hard time sometimes taking the weekends off. So this Saturday, I opened up to Psalms. I was reading Psalm 119. You'll probably see that today from the sermon. But just systematically going through it. Point number three is to how to read the Bible. Read the Bible reverently. Read the Bible reverently. Look at Psalm 119. You are righteous, Lord, and your laws are right. The statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. This is God's holy word given to us. So when I come to it, I place myself under it. I place myself under it. The Bible is the authority. It's God's very word. It's true in all that it teaches. So my default isn't doubt. There are certainly difficult portions of scripture. There are definitely debated texts. There is for sure some things we don't understand or maybe need to rethink. But my default is not doubt. My default is faith in God's word. And so I put myself under it. I don't come to it as a connoisseur. I don't come to it as a critic. I can think critically about it, and I do. But I come to it as a son, as a child, in the lap of his father, longing to hear his word to me. Come to it with reverence. It's God's holy word. Connected to that is the fourth point. Read the Bible humbly. Read the Bible humbly. Psalm 119, surprise. Deal with your servant according to your love and teach me your decrees. I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. So what I mean by humbly here is that I want to come before the Lord with a teachable spirit. That's hard because I'm an arrogant man. I'm a know-it-all sort of guy. I'm an opinionated person. But this is God and God's word. So my stance before him needs to be one of humility. I'm a son of his because of the gospel. I'm the beloved of God in spite of all my sin. But I am also a servant and he is my Lord and my master. So I want to come with a humility that's teachable as it pertains to God's word. Point number five, read the Bible prayerfully. I always, read. I always, excuse me, pray before I read Scripture. I always pray during reading Scripture. And I always pray after reading Scripture. And the psalmist said the same thing. Guess where? 119. You guys are so sharp. Look what he prayed. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. I pray that every time I open up the word devotionally. I... I I may not pray those words, but that's the prayer of my heart. Lord, open my eyes. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is a teacher of all things. Lord, open my eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. Again, he prays, make me understand the way of your precepts so I will meditate on your wonders. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. So there it is. It's early in the morning. My family isn't awake. The sun isn't up. There's no chance to go surfing. There's no internet there, so I can't just look at dumb stuff. So I have my Bible out. I have my coffee. I'm in my cozy chair. And I pray. Lord, speak to me. Lord, teach me in your word. Open my eyes to behold wonderful things. My prayer has gotten more desperate in the last few years. I've been reading the Bible now for a quarter of a century. I've read it through several times. It's only become more desperate. Lord, open my eyes to see wonderful things. You never arrive there with the Bible. It's inexhaustible. And it's death and it's depth and it's glory and it's wonders about the person of Christ. And so I pray. And then I pray during. I'll talk about that in a moment. And then I pray after. I also do that when I'm preparing sermons. And the sixth point then is read the Bible carefully. Someone asks me in generally, how do you read the Bible? I say prayerfully and carefully. What I mean by careful is this is God's infallible holy word. Every word matters. So I don't read it like a magazine. I don't read it like a novel. I don't read it like the stuff on my Kindle. I read it carefully. I read it slowly. I read it concertedly. I read it repeatedly over and over the same passage. So as we're going through the New Testament year, reading a chapter a day, that's kind of too much for me, really. That's a hard discipline. When I'm making up my own schedule, I just take little portions, two, three, five, seven verses, just little chunks, and I just read them slowly, concertedly, repeatedly, repeatedly, paying careful attention to every single word. And I've found that during those times of careful and prayerful, I'm reading and I'm praying, the Holy Spirit shows me wonderful things, reveals the truth of the word to me. Now, it happens the same way every time. I'll I'll use my sermon preparation as an example, though that is separate from my personal Bible reading. I keep those separate. But I'll come to a passage that I'm going to preach on a Sunday, and I'll read it, I'll be like, oh, my God. There's nothing here. How am I going to talk for 45 minutes on this? There's nothing here. And then I'll read it again and again and again. By the third or fifth time, I'm like, okay, there's some nugs here. This is pretty good. And then by the time I've read it 10 to 15 times, you guys get to experience that. You say, he never stops talking. He's saying too much. Because I read the Bible too carefully and prayerfully just slowly letting it sink in. I'm not very smart. The first time I read it, it usually doesn't make sense. It goes like this. I've got to quiet my soul. I've got to steady my mind. I've got to press in. And sometimes I just read a word and I wait, and a phrase and I wait, and a sentence, and I begin to move through it. Which leads to the next point. Read the Bible meditatively. Psalm 1. How blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. In his law, he meditates day and night. So then, what I try to do is I I try really hard to avoid a checklist mentality. That's the danger of a one year Bible reading program. If, If you're like me, you're goal oriented. Right, So on my off years, when we're not doing a one-year Bible thing, I don't set a goal. I'll just read a portion as far as I get. But with a with a chapter, I just get in this mentality like, okay, check it off. You've got to avoid that checklist mentality. That's not what the Bible is. You're not punching in a time card. Nobody's watching. Like, did you do it? It's not a checklist thing. Don't do it if you're going to do that. Right? But do it meditatively. So I, I, I it takes a little bit of time. I, mean, I, I slow down. I'm reading it, and then what I find I need to do, what helps me at this season of my life, I haven't always done this, but I journal while I'm reading the Bible. I don't know how that sounds to you. Usually to women, it sounds like, oh, yes. (laughs) And to men, it sounds different. I haven't always done that. Maybe I need to cut my hair and my beard. But when I was going through a really tough time with Daisy, I just, man, I was just desperate. And a friend of mine encouraged me to start doing it. And I just, as I was reading the word, I just started writing down what I was feeling and thinking and what God was saying to me in response. And man, it's just been so rich. And the, the bulk of it is, is repentance. It's pretty easy if you're gonna do checklist mentality to read it and be like, no problem. But if you're gonna slow down, and really prayerfully and carefully go through it, there's going to be some repentance that's required. There's going to be some conviction that happens. There's going to be places where I see every day my life is not aligning with the word here. And I have found that it's really easy to think thoughtful prayers of repentance and move on and not do much. But when I write out, not type, write out by hand in full sentences with correct grammar and syntax, my sin... It changes things. It's too easy for me to just dismiss my sin in my head. But when I and my journals write it out, Lord, I am struggling with this and I am sinning in this area. And I have found as I go back through my journals that the root cause of the vast majority of my sin is pride. Usually has to do because I think too highly of myself and think I deserve more than I do. And I'm seeing that through this exercise of journaling. The other bulk of it is praise. When I read scripture, I'm just caught up in the praise of God and the glory of God. I'm so thankful for the gospel of God that he saved a sinner like me that I find myself writing out praise. A lot of it is prayer. This week as I was journaling, I prayed a lot for my son. I just found myself moved by the Holy Spirit, just praying good things for my son. I pray a lot for you guys, and I write that in my journal. If I try to be as honest with God as I can, I always write it to God. It's not like, dear diary or something stupid. It's not for posterity's sake. Please, 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 when I die, don't read my journals. Please, first one in my house, burn them. We will all be so sad if you read them. What was I saying? I got really scared with the thought of someone reading my journals. (laughs) Anyway, that helps me to read the Bible in a way that's meditative, really thinking about what I'm doing and saves me from the checklist thing or just quick thoughts of repentance and really draws me into what the Scriptures are meant to be an experience with Jesus by which we are transformed. And the other thing about meditating is as Christians, we have to memorize Scripture. We have to memorize Scripture. The way I did it in the early days when Scripture was new to me is I would write it out on a piece of paper cut it in a little square and stick it in my pocket. And if it was really verbose and it took me a long time to memorize it, I'd put clear tape on both sides so that it didn't crumble and fall apart and carry it around in my pocket for days and sometimes weeks. And I'd just pull it out whenever I had a moment and read it and pop it back in, pull it out, read it, pop it back in. And that was the way that I started memorizing scripture. Memorizing scripture is one of the very few things in my life I don't regret doing. And it will always bear fruit in us. God's word will never, ever return void. And the last point, I promise, is read the Bible obediently. It's not pick or choose. Sometimes we read it that way. The scriptures are meant to be obeyed. That's why we started with Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Moses' word to Israel. Psalm 19. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They're sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant. Great reward for those who obey them. A great reward for those who obey them. Consider what the Lord said to Joshua before he and the children of Israel entered into the promised land Be strong and courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Listen, the good news is that we are not saved by reading the Bible and we are not saved by obedience. We are saved by grace through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross in spite of our sin. Reading and obeying the Bible will never save you. It will never earn you favor with God, but it will change your life and it will bear incredible fruit in your life. And so the way that I want to read the Bible is read it with a mind and heart To obey. It's not about information. It's about transformation. And we'll finish with, where do you guess? Psalm 119, front row. I obey your statutes, for I love them greatly. I obey your statutes, for I love them greatly. You know, I've spent a lot of time in my life disobeying God's word. I do spend a lot of time disobeying God's word. I've tasted a lot of the fruit of disobedience. Doing my own thing my own way. And every time I do, without fail, without fail, I come back to say, God's way is better. And when I go His way, it really puts in my heart an incredible love and gratitude and joy in His Word. It's so good that he would speak to us in this love letter this way. May you experience the joy, the power, and the fruit of it in your lives this year. Lord, thank you for the gift of scripture to us. Would you help us this year as we read it, Lord, to meet you in the pages? Please, Christ, would you reveal yourself there? Would we grow in you together this year? Would you give us understanding of your word and give us insight? Would you lead us in the way we should go as a church, as individuals, as people, as families? Lead us, Lord. Would you help us to develop godly habits in your word and would we see incredible fruit from it for our good and for the glory of your name, Lord? We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.